Good morning. Welcome to Theological Equipping. Let me pray for us and we will jump in. Father, we love you. Thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you that what we're going to talk about today is things you've shown us in your wonderful word. Uh, And I pray that just the subject of what we're going to talk about today, that you would use it to open our eyes to your glorious creation. Lord, you've made us to know you and to stand in awe of you and to bask in the wonders of who you are and to know that you love us, that you're not just powerful and not just in control, but you're our Father who cares for us uh, infinitely more than you care for the birds that you feed or the flowers that you clothe. You sent your Son that we might uh, know you and be brought into your family. And so I pray that as we just look at this little uh, subject of delighting in you through your wonderful creation, that you would open our eyes to the world around us, you would open our ears to the world around us, that we would quite, quite simply see the beauty of the works of your hands and that they might continually throw our affections up to you. That worship would not be something that we do when we come into this building on a specific day, but uh, we would see, as we'll look today at Psalm 19, that the heavens are declaring your glory, the sky above your handiwork. There is speech screaming at us every day, all day, and every night, all night, to worship the wonderful creator of the universe. And so I pray that that would be a mark of who we are, and I pray that you would use this little hour to open our eyes to those wonderful realities. We pray that in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Okay, so as you know, this semester we've been walking through our new mission statement as a church. Our new mission statement is the Parkway Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who, three Ds, delight in him, display his love to one another and declare him to the world. And so we've been walking through how do we actually do that, right? There's a sense in which even great things can just be abstract and they can hang in the air and we want to grab those and pull them down. How do we delight in God? Well, we delight in him through reading his word, right? Hearing from him. And so we've focused on how do we study the scriptures? We, we delight in him through meditating on his word, not just understanding the information, but letting the information swirl around in our heads until it begins to soak into our hearts, where a statement like God is love isn't just uh, abstract or God loves you isn't just abstract and just kind of a, a cheap thing we might say to make ourselves feel better, but that is one of the most wonderful, most precious things to you. We've talked about how do we pray the Bible? How do we respond as this God is speaking to us? How do we respond? All those things are how do we delight? We've talked about how do we display? How do we relate to one another? We've talked about discipleship and uh, bearing one another's burdens and what makes us distinct as a people of God. We've talked about declare. How do we declare Jesus to the world? We've talked about evangelism. We'll talk about missions, all those sorts of things. And so we've been walking through the how-tos, and today we are going to hit another delight. So if you've been following, all, all the delights that we've, uh, we've we focused on thus far are how to study the scriptures. They're all scripture-based besides, I guess, how to kill sin. How to kill sin, how do you remove the thing that robs you of your delight in God? And then how do you study the scriptures? How do you meditate on the scriptures? How do you uh, pray the scriptures? And then the last two delights that we have uh, are going to look at some other ways in which we can delight in God. Today, we're going to look at delighting in him through his creation. So the world you passed on your way to this room this morning that is screaming at you how wonderful your God is, and then we'll look later, uh, how do we delight in him through our uh, brothers and sisters who have gone before us throughout church history. Okay, so that'll be a a fun one. Uh, But that's where where we've been, this is where we're going. So today we'll look at that, how do we delight in our creator through his creation, Okay, we'll, look, we'll have three kind of main things we'll talk through there in your notes. We'll look at our speaking God, our speaking God, God's speech in his creation, speech there in quotes, his speech through his creation, and then how do we hear? How do we hear what he's saying in creation? Okay, so we'll hit that. And again, my hope with this that I'll, I'll, I'll lather on more and more and more is I just, I want us to know how. Uh, how to just behold your wonderful God. And we have sufficiently, rightfully so, talked about the scriptures and 
try to put your noses in the Bible to hear his speech to you in the scriptures. And now I want us to see as we walk outside every day your God's goodness and your God's beauty in a way that genuinely stirs your affection and prompts you to prayer and prompts you to praise and prompts you to worship him. So let's, let's look at this first thing, our speaking God. One of the things, one of the most fundamental things about our God, the living God of the universe, is that our God speaks. Our God is a God who reveals himself, which you might think isn't that basic God 101 stuff. But if you read the Old Testament, that, that's actually one of the things that makes Yahweh unique amongst all the other false gods. Baal, Asherah, all the other false gods of the Canaanites, they don't care about you. They're creating and ruling the universe and those sorts of things. They don't care about you, and they're not really concerned about talking to you. So if you want to get their attention, if you want to know what they're like or what they want, you know what you have to do? You have to take a lamb and cut open its innards and have a priest read its intestines, or you have to read the tea leaves because that was a little gross. We're like, let's go with plants. Right, read the tea leaves. What do the gods want? Or maybe if you're worshiping Asherah or Baal, sacrifice your children. Then Baal might speak to you. Maybe you have to dance wildly and cut yourself. Think about Elijah and his uh, great contest with the prophets of Baal. To get Baal to speak, to get Baal to act, they have to do these ridiculous things, these incredible things like cut themselves and all sorts of things. Versus, that, I mean, that's, that's every God that's ever existed, every false God that's ever existed. Right? You need a crystal ball. You have to do something to divine the spirits, go to a medium, go to a witch, those sorts of things to hear what the gods are doing versus the living God of the universe. In total contrast, he doesn't say, uh, look up and guess what I'm like. Rather, your God, the living God, comes down. And he says, here's what I'm like. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Here's what I will do. He doesn't make you look up and guess. Rather, he comes down and tells. Psalm 103, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When you're reading Exodus and you get to Exodus 33, up until that point, you know God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and whatever, whatever else you can deduce, right, from, from the narrative that he's the creator of the universe, all those sorts of things. We don't know anything about his character yet until he tells us. Moses didn't just say, I think God's good, and I think God's nice. God came down and said, Moses, here's who I am. Let me crack open my heart for you. I'm merciful, and I'm gracious, and I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in steadfast love. Here's who I am, and here's my character. That's who your God is. He is a speaking God. And he has spoken in two primary ways, okay? Two primary ways, what uh, scholars will call general revelation and specific or special revelation. But we, we'll, we'll use a little better terms. He's spoken to us through his word and his world, his word and his world. So his word, he's spoken through his word. This is often what's called special revelation, the scriptures, right? Also his word, his eternal word, his son, he's spoken through. But God has given us his perfect, authoritative, infallible, inerrant, sufficient scriptures, okay? That's a special way God has spoken to us, okay? He doesn't just say, wonderful things I've done, now interpret them. He says, here's how you interpret them, right? He, he speaks them to us in his scriptures, which is why we spent the majority of our time walking through how do we study the scriptures? How do we meditate on the scriptures, right? God has spoken to us in a very special way through his word and his scriptures that we have. That's why we preach that every Sunday. But he's also spoken to us in a more general way through his world, what's often called, again, general revelation. So look at Romans 1 there. As Paul in his opening uh, to the great letter to the Romans, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So Paul just said in God's word, the world speaks. The world speaks so clearly that the way you have to stop your ears to it is you have to actually suppress the truth. The world says there's a wonderful creator who is incredibly powerful. His, his attributes, his divine nature should be perceived, right? It's been made plain to them. They're without excuse. No one can say, I didn't know there was a God. Paul would say, have you seen the sun or the stars or the moon or the trees or the mountains or sand or a beetle or leaves or felt the wind on your face or seen the rain or the snow? You have no excuse. Creation itself has been saying, there is a wonderful creator who made me who is incredibly powerful and incredibly wonderful. So notice Romans is, is saying that. Romans, the word, is saying the world is also speaking to us, saying there is a God and he is an incredibly powerful and wonderful creator. Okay, so God speaks through his word. We spent a lot of time with there. And he speaks through his world. Okay, it's still in a general sense. You still need the special, specific revelation to become a Christian, Right? You can't just look at the sun and being like, I think the living God sent his eternal son to die on the cross for my sins. Right? You still need the message of the gospel to come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. But God gives clear speech nonetheless. So our God is a speaking God. And we as evangelicals are typically really good, or at least we try really hard to hear him through his word, but we are often deaf to his speech through his world. We have a profound blindness to God's speech through his world. And I think there's a ton of reasons for this. Number one, I think, I think we typically make the mistake of thinking general revelation, right? God's speech in the world lets us know God exists, but special revelation tells us who that God is, which is true. But then that typically makes us think we don't need JV stuff anymore, JV speech anymore, general revelation. We've got the varsity scriptures, right? So let's now close our ears to the world. Plus, you know, we don't want to be pantheists, right? I've seen Pocahontas. They worship that weird talking tree. We don't want to do that, right? We are Bible people, right? And so we are correct in thinking, yes, God has given us a special revelation in the scriptures, but we make the mistake of saying, therefore, I will stop my ears to his speech around me all the day long. I think that's one reason. I think another reason that C.S. Lewis pointed out is just the Enlightenment. Uh, it, for the majority of human history, you had humanity that would look up at the stars and look up at the heavens, and they would just stand in awe and wonder. But the Enlightenment, the scientific study of, well, that, it, just, it, it turned the, uh, the immensity of the heavens into a cold scientific project about questions and answers. That is a burning ball of gas, right? Pumbaa's answer. I've clearly been watching a lot of Disney movies as they're looking at the stars. Uh, what are the, is it the kings of the past? I've always thought it's floating balls of gas, right? Um, and Tone says, Pumbaa, to you, everything is gas. Uh, but that's what we've done. We've, we've turned this wonderful chorus of God's glory into, I have the correct answer of what those things are, and it shuts off our ears to wonder. And C.S. Lewis hated this, that this was happening in his day. He actually wrote a lesser-known uh, trilogy just called his Space Trilogy. If you want some Christmas reading, I would encourage you to read those. Out of the Silent Planet is the first one where this character, this, this uh, philologist named Ransom, who's based off of his buddy J.R.R. Tolkien, gets kidnapped by these guys who are put him, put him in a rocket ship, and he's flying out of Earth, which is called the Silent Planet, that stopped their ears to the wonders of the heavens. And as he exits the stratosphere and is entering into space, he is overwhelmed by just the beauty that is seemingly crushing in on him. Because for the first time in his whole life, his eyes are being opened and his ears are being opened to the wonder of God's creation. Uh, Lewis also brings this out, if, if, if any of you know, in the Chronicles of Narnia. How does the, the world of Narnia get created? Does anybody actually know that? Sorry, this isn't a question. Does anybody know how Narnia is created? Aslan sings it. 
into creation. And Lewis is showing here, creation itself is a beautiful song to the wonders of its creator. And we so often have shut our ears to this because we just think, you know, what is the sun and when is it going to burn out and when are those layers going to burn out? When are we all going to die? All those sorts of stuff. We've turned it into a cold study. Right? That's another reason. I think a, a third reason would be just the pace and busyness of our day. We're too busy to sit still and wait upon the Lord and gaze at his creation. We're going too fast to slow down and notice the veins in a leaf or to watch how an ant works. We've got too much productivity that needs to be done. And so we have cut off wonder from ourselves. Perhaps worse than that is we're way too distracted or perhaps way too entertained. I read an article uh, this past week that talked about we have the heavens above us, but we have a ceiling above our heads that's a screen ceiling, right? I've got too much obsession that I've got to scroll through to get information and to numb me to the wonders of creation around us. I think that's another reason, and I think a final reason would be, in our minds, we are big and the world is small. I can know basically what's happening in any country in the world instantly. And so there's very little mystery left in my life. If I'm curious about something, I can find information on it. It might be conspiracy theorist information, but I can go find it. Right? And it makes me feel very powerful. Right? Knowledge is power. I know everything. I know what's happening in the Middle East. I know what's happening in China. Right? I know everything. I know everyone's opinions on it. I know everybody's mad about it. And no one seems to be having a happy time in this existence. But I, I know everything. And so I'm big. The world is small. Again, we, we don't stand under the stars like a psalm we'll come back to over and over again today in Psalm 8 and say, what is man that you're mindful of him? As I look at the heavens the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, you know them each by name. What is man that you, oh wonderful creator, are mindful of him? I'm this grasshopper. I'm this little insignificant ant, yet you've made him a little lower than the angels and put him in charge of this wonderful creation, the psalmist would say. We don't do that anymore, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in charge, I think we think. We've got opinions on everything instantly, right? So all of these reasons, I'm just trying to show us we have a profound deafness and blindness to the wonders of creation that is yelling at you every day, your God is wonderful and beautiful and every day beckoning you to stand in amazement and have your affections greatly stirred for this wonderful God. The stars calling you to delight in Him. The birds chirping at you to lift your eyes and praise Him. But i got to check Twitter real quick. You see that? So we have become profoundly deaf. And so I want us to hear again. And I want us to see again. And one of the most incredible things for us as Christians is we are not in danger of pantheism. We're not in danger of saying, okay, I'll open my eyes to creation. Well, now maybe I'll worship the Son because we have God's special revelation. Because we have His Word in the Scriptures, we actually have a lens by which we can see the world rightly. We have something to tell us how we are meant to hear the world rightly. So when the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, we know the Lord that it's talking about. We're not in danger of going off. In fact, the scriptures are saturated. We're going to look at this. It's going to be the majority of our time today. The scriptures are saturated by saying, when you look at a tree, think about this. And when you look at the sun, do this, right? It's giving us instruction. So not only are we saying, we're good at the Bible, let's be good at creation too. We're saying, the Bible should open your ears all the more to the wonders of creation. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards are going to help us out quite a bit today. George Washington Carver will as well. But Charles Spurgeon here has a quote talking about God. He who wrote the Bible 
The second and clearest revelation of his divine word also wrote the first book, the book of nature. There is no quarrel between nature and revelation. Fools only think so. To wise men, the one illustrates and establishes the other, surveying the midnight sky and remembering him who, while he calls the stars by their name, also biddeth up the broken in heart. Who will neglect the volume of creation or the volume of revelation? I shall delight in them both as long as I live to despise the creating work of God who is but in a measure, or what is, what is it but in a measure to despise God himself? Okay, so I want to look at that second volume today and just open our eyes a bit. And open our ears a bit so that, and I mean this, you can become convinced there's no way for you to open your physical eyes and not be called to worship by what you see. There's no way for you to walk outside and hear and not be in some way called to worship your God by what you hear. Okay? Your God is speaking. That's our first point. Second point, let's look a little bit closer. This will be probably the majority of our time at what is he saying? What what is his speech in creation? So let's look at a foundational passage first. We've already looked at Romans 1, which Paul's very clear. No one's without excuse. Creation is calling us, telling us about that God exists, his invisible attributes. Let's look at another foundational passage, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Okay, so the psalmist, the psalm that's actually most famous, he goes on talking about the scriptures and how wonderful the scriptures are. A psalm, the psalmist is saying, every single day, the heavens are declaring, your God is glorious. Every single night is revealing to you the knowledge that your God is wonderful. There's nowhere in creation that this speech has not reached. It's being poured out every single day. There are no days on the calendar that are silent about your God's glory. And there's no night that doesn't reveal wonders of who your God is. Notice that's the scriptures telling you this. Again, I didn't just walk outside last night and thought, I'll put this in my tech. The Bible just said, go look at the stars. Walk outside and feel the breeze and watch the sunrise and watch it set. No part of the day does it scream how glorious God is. The heavens declare his glory. Their voice go throughout the entire earth. Okay, so in the same way that you'll come here today and hear Lee tell you God is glorious in a sermon, the clouds tell you every day God is glorious. Worship him. Turn your eyes to him. Rest in him. The birds tell you God is feeding me right now and your heavenly father cares for you far more than me. Don't be so anxious. We'll look at that in a second. The flowers, as they begin to bloom in the spring, tell you, God is clothing me, and I'm more beautiful than Solomon, and you have a father who cares for you far more than me. Don't be so anxious. There's no day that goes by that doesn't tell you how wonderful your God is. Psalm 19 tells us. So what I want to do, I wanted to kind of practice before you what I'm going to encourage you to do, which is find scripture that opens your ears to the wonders of creation and then go have your ears open, okay? So I've tried to break down. Originally, I was like, I'll go through every part of the Bible that mentions anything in nature and then thought, no, that's a terrible idea. So what I've done is I've broken it down. Uh, We're going to look at sky passages, earth passages, we'll look at some animals and insects, and then food, and just ask the question, what is the Bible telling you? Like your your physical eyes, look at a cloud. What is the Bible telling you should be swirling around your mind as your eyes are set on that cloud? Okay? 
So let's just kind of walk through this together. We'll practice some of these together. So let's look at the skies and let's look at the sun first, okay? This, by the way, the worst part of being a preacher, and by the worst part, I mean one of the bad things, trying to eliminate hyperbole from my life, uh, is, is having to cut stuff that you're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. This is such a tiny sample. My document for all the scriptures that I looked up is like 18 pages long. Um, so it's a tiny, tiny sample, and you might be thinking, it's too much. You should have done more. Uh, so let's look at the sun first. So what did the scripture say about the sun? Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Sunrise, sunset should stir in you. Praise to God. It's an invitation for all of us to praise God. Or Revelation 22, last chapter of the scriptures, and night will be no more. Speaking of once eternity comes and the new heavens and the new earth are created and night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign with him forever. So again, notice the difference there. So you could look at the sun and you could think, there's my invitation to praise God. Look at the way that its light is reflecting on the clouds and creating all these beautiful colors that will pass away as it continues to rise. Look at the way I'm dependent on its life. All these things are just avenues to praise God. Or notice just the different avenues you could take. You could look at the sun and think, I am dependent on this. Again, the old, if we were a foot away or a foot closer, we'd all die or freeze or whatever they would teach you in third grade science, right? We're absolutely dependent on this sun, and one day we will not need it any longer. Why? Because I will see my glorious, bright, shining king of the universe, the light of the world himself, will be with me for all eternity. So you can look at the sun in the morning and just praise God because you're thinking of Psalm 113. Or you could look at the sun in the morning and think about your eternal glorious inheritance in the gospel. One day I will see him face to face. The night will pass away. The sea will be no more. And the sun will be no more. Why? Because we'll be with him who is the light, the light of the world. Okay, you see that? So you're looking with your physical eyes at something in nature. The word, the scriptures are swirling around in your mind. And then you just, in a sense, meditate. Just again, try and shut off the cell phone and try to slow down and try to just think about you sitting underneath that sun and what scriptures might tell you. And just let, again, the, the, the process of meditating on the scripture swirling around in your mind just begin to stir your heart. Okay, you see that? The sun, different ways the sun could speak to you, could stir you, right? So let's look at the clouds next. Psalm 57, your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your, forget, your faithfulness to the clouds. Revelation 1, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are alive... Paul talking about end times, last days, second coming. When we are, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet their Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Okay, so let's do an interaction Q&A. Uh, so you look at the clouds, and we've got three different avenues you could take. What did the scripture say? You, you, you walk outside, you look up, you see clouds. Some scripture passes through your mind. What, what might you hear creation saying? You're looking at the clouds. What are some of the things there? You can literally read the verse if you want. Coming back for you. Somebody else? Yeah, the steadfast love of the Lord. Yeah, second coming with the steadfast love of the Lord. Anything else there? His faithfulness. Yeah, his faithfulness. Yeah. Yes, the expectation of his second coming. You know, we're, we're the first generation. Every generation for all of eternity, or all of the, oh, not eternity, the past 2,000 years, every generation of the church has thought, Jesus is coming back in my day. We're the first, I mean, a lot of people still think that. We're the first one to be like, have y'all ever noticed that these end times people are a little bit crazy? Let's just not think about it at all. 
right? Which is a mistake. And so you could look at the clouds and you could have a renewed hope in your heart of, it's messy here. It's bad. I'm walking through unthinkable pain and my Savior's coming back for me. It might be after I go into the ground and I'm raised with him. Or it might be whenever, but my Savior is coming back for me in the clouds. Clouds might stir the confidence you're meant to walk in this life with. He's coming back. We're going to be caught up with him in the clouds. Invite him in as he's a victorious king coming back to create the new heavens and the new earth, right? That might stir your heart as you look up at the clouds. Or you might think, the steadfast love of my God and his faithfulness to me is as high as I can see. You see a cloud and then you see a plane pass under it and the plane looks microscopic and then just think, that's how great my God's love is for me. Notice what the Bible's doing, by the way. We'll get to this later. Notice the Bible isn't just saying, God loves you. It's saying, go look up as far as you can see. That's how much God loves you. As my mom was like putting me to bed as a kid, she would say, I love you to the moon and back, right? Just this idea of as far as you can see, connecting to your, your senses. Look at a cloud. See how high it is. That is the height of your God's love for you. Okay? Notice the Bible isn't just saying, don't worry about that nature stuff. I'm telling you the truth. God loves you. Be satisfied, right, with that truth. He's saying, go look and see how much, right? So that's, that's what you could do with the clouds. Same thing with the stars. Look at Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number and calls them each by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So what are the stars saying? You walk outside at nighttime, you look at the stars. I know we've only got like seven, but even those seven. What are the stars saying, according to Isaiah 40? Yes, if he knows the trillions of stars, each by name, not one is missing, how much more? How much more you? He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Yeah, what else? I mean, you could even go, he created these. He hung them there. This is the works of his hands. The bright stars shining in the sky. He's the creator of the universe. My father, who cares for me and knows the numbers of hairs on my head, is holding the billions of galaxies together. You can just go that route, the, the simple he's the creator route, right? and stand in wonder. Psalm 8, this is one of my favorite psalms. This is, if you want to think about like what is the, my ultimate hope in a psalm for us would be that we embody this psalmist's posture, David's posture here. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Verse three, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You see what he's doing? David has walked outside and looked up. And he said, I'm in awe at what I'm seeing and your fingers made this. Your artist's hand painted this and they are so majestic and wonderful. And then when he thinks about himself, what's his, his genuine borderline confusing question? Who am I? You care about me. I'm made from the dirt. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? And you can even take that farther. What is man that you're mindful of him? Who am I that you acknowledge me, that you care about me? And who am I that you would send your son for me? You don't just acknowledge and generally care about me. You love me with a love that surpasses all knowledge, so much so that you would take your eternal son 
whom you love more than words could ever describe, and you sent him to die in my place that I might be brought into your family. You see how you as a Christian can read the gospel onto, appropriately, onto Psalm 8 in a way that the stars cause you to worship because of the cross. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? That's what David's doing. He's looking at creation and thinking about his wonderful God, there is a worship service waiting for you in every night sky, in every morning dawn, right? At every dusk, there's a benefit to living where we live. It's flat and there's no trees, so you can see all the sunrises and sunsets that you want and just hear the heavens declaring the glory of your God. Okay, we'll move much uh, quicker. So earth, so that's the sky. Again, that's a tiny sample. I haven't talked about wind or anything like that or storms or anything. Earth. Let's look at grass and flowers. Psalm 103. For man, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. You think you're so great? Wind passes over it, gone, and its place doesn't even remember it. But in contrast to your temporary life, right? your great-grandkids will struggle to remember your name, it's a sad, real reality. Name your great-grandparents. You can't. And Meemaw doesn't count as their name, right? Our days are like this, but the steadfast love of the Lord that extends to the clouds is from everlasting to everlasting. Right? His righteousness to children's children. Look at Matthew 6. Skip uh, Isaiah 40 there. Look at Matthew 6. We've, we've preached through this, but look at what Jesus is doing. You're anxious you're worried, here's what you should do, your Savior Jesus says. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God who so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You're anxious, you're worried, you're stressed out. What does Jesus tell you to go do? Go look at a flower and see its beauty. And know that, one, your father is what has made this wonderful flower so beautiful, just because he's a wonderful creative artist of a creator. And then, two, know that your father who closed the field cares for you so much infinitely more. Same thing with birds. Birds go and eat. They don't know when their next meal is coming. God does. God feeds them. Are you not of more value and birds, how does Jesus get to his Father's love for you? He says, go look at his creation and know, Psalm 8, he is mindful of you and he does care for you and he has sent me for you. See that? Go open your eyes to your backyard, to your front yard. Open your ears to what's chirping around you as you walk outside don't be anxious because your father cares. Go look at a flower. That's what Jesus tells us, okay? Trees, do this. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, the one who meditates on the law day and night, is like a tree planted by the stream of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not weather, wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Or Genesis 2 or Revelation 22, you can think about the tree of life, the knowledge of good and evil. So you go look at a tree, you can think about, okay, Lord, you say those who know you and love you and study your word have roots like this tree that run deep. 
and they don't wither in due season. They might be blown and tossed, but the roots go so deep they won't, be, they won't perish. Or you could think about the fall, you could. You could think about rebellion. You could think about your own propensity to tell God, I think I know what's best. I think I should be the one that decides what's good and what is evil. And then you could repent. You could confess and repent as a result of looking at a tree and thinking about your own heart. Or you could say, in Revelation 22, in the new heavens and the new earth, the tree of life that we were cut off from and the angel with the flaming sword was put at the gate of the garden in Genesis 3, it will be there and I will run and eat from it from all eternity because I will have nothing but life. Death will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away. Again, you can think about eternity looking at a tree. There's so many different avenues for you there. You could think about just having wisdom, like in Proverbs 3. Wisdom, she is like a tree, is like a tree of life and those who laid hold, uh, to those who have laid hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. Or you could think about your Savior dying on a tree. You could think about Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Again, I'm just trying to show you the, so many ways you could take of it. You know, I'm not just saying God created things and they're wonderful. Because you do that like nine days in a row and you're like, we get it. Look how pretty this is. What else, right? You can think about your deep roots because you love the law of the Lord. You love the scripture and study them. You can think about your eternity. You can think about your salvation. That you and I were spared from the tree because our Savior has been hung up on it in our place. Oceans, mountains, goodness, there are so many. Let me just say, I won't read those there. Let me just say, the next time you go on vacation... Uh, go on a worshipful vacation. The next time you go to the mountains, get a couple scriptures that point to the mountains, right? how they melt like wax before your God, or how they'll be thrown away long before any word of the Lord passes away. Or when you go to the beach and the waves are crashing in, no, the scriptures say, God is the one who told this ocean where to stop. And as you gather sand in your hands, hear the voice of the psalmist to say, the thoughts of God for you are greater than the sand by the sea. Just try and count the number of grains of sand in one handful and then just tell yourself, my father has more thoughts of me than, than these, right? Go on a vacation to rest, but also go on a vacation to worship because everything around you is telling you to worship. And I emphasize vacation because you would have to go on vacation to see a mountain or a tree, right? This hill is as best we got here. Uh, or not a tree, uh, oceans. We don't have any oceans. We have lakes, but they've got a lot of tires floating in them. Uh, so they're not great. Uh, all right, animals and insects. Again, there's so many. I'll go through this uh, relatively quickly. Isaiah 40 points out grasshoppers. It's what you look like compared to God, right? We think we're in control of everything. Just go stand over a cricket. Right? There's a lot of crickets at my house. I don't know about y'all. Every time it rains, crickets come close to my house and then perish. Don't know why. I asked Carl and he didn't know. And so I don't know how else to find out information. But like you're just looking down, there's this little brittle thing. Harvey picked one up and its leg fell off. And the scriptures are like, that's you. That's you, right? And that's good for you to know. You're not in control. Your life is a vapor. Right? It's a mist. It's a good, healthy thing to know. Scriptures tell you that. Right? Uh, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, all sorts of things it tells us about animals or food. Right? Look at Psalm 104. Uh, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, and he, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. And again, so, so notice what the psalmist is doing. He's not just saying God made stuff for your provision, so thank him, although he is saying that. He made wine to make the heart glad. He's pointing out the intentionality behind God's creative hand. He made bread to give you strength. Right? Notice the care inserted into those sorts of things. That's what you need to think about. That's what will take God out of the kind of abstract, he's in charge and strong, to he cares about me. He put this food on my plate and created it for my joy and for my strength and for my sustaining. Right? You see that? 
That is what the scriptures are saying as you eat food, or you could eat, uh, have honey on something, and think of his word is sweeter than honey on the honeycomb. Right? It could spur you to think of other things as well. You could eat fruit, and you could think of the fruit of the Spirit. You could think of the fruit of false teachers. You'll know them by their fruit. You could think of abiding in the vine, and you will bear much fruit. You think of a bunch of different things. Okay, I'm just, again, I'm trying to show you creation is always speaking to you. Always. And actually, ironically, the way you hear his speech through the world is through his word. Right, so have scripture swirling around your mind, right? When you drink water and you're refreshed, think about the living water that your Savior is. When you eat bread and you're refreshed, think about the, the bread of life that once you get it, you'll never go hungry again in your Savior, okay? So again, it's all around you. This is just a little tiny sample. All of these things are meant to show us things about God, meant to show us things about ourselves, meant to stir wonder in us and stir worship in us, meant to show us the, the beauties of the gospel. Again, it doesn't just say, the scriptures don't just say, God loves you. It says, go look up, right? It gives beautiful color to the truth, right? Jesus doesn't just say, God cares for you, don't be anxious. He could have, but what does he say? He says, go watch a bird and watch it eat. And look at the details and look at the colors of the gospel. That's how much your father cares for you. In fact, he cares for you infinitely more. You see that? The world is meant to brighten the wonderful truths that we believe. So it tells us stuff about God, tells us stuff about ourselves, stirs wonder and worship. I'm skipping a lot of really good Spurgeon quotes you you can read later. And then gives us hope and confidence. Again, we live in a very anxious age. We've got more resources than any generation in human history, and we are, I think, the most anxious. We're constantly terrified. We have access to, again, any information all around the world, and has it made us more confident to navigate our days, or has it made us paralyzed with fear? The second one, right? We're, we're, we're constantly anxious, but look at Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and earth. What is, the, what is the foundation of the, the confidence in the psalmist? My help comes from the Lord, and he's not just strong. He made everything. So when you look at everything and know my God made this, it's meant to stir in you a confidence that he is here to help you. He has measured out every trial that you will walk through. And because he loves you more than flowers and sparrows, he will be with you in the midst of the dark valley. Okay. okay, so final thing, last section, how? Okay, so that, 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 that whole section, God speaking, I'm just trying to show you uh, what the, the ways you could do this. Look at creation, hear a scripture, and then reflect, really meditate and think of a def- different ways to go in a way that causes this sort of delight. And so this last section, how to hear through creation, I'm just giving practical suggestions of how you might start doing that. Okay, so... What are some ways? How can we actually do this? Number one, the first two are a bit self-explanatory, but study scripture, uh, which might sound weird because we've talked about Bible before and we're going to talk about God's speech through his world. But again, as you've seen, in order to know the way a tree is meant to stir you towards worship, you need to know what what his word has said about trees. Or in order to hear that a bird eating should make me be less anxious. We need to hear Jesus' words saying, your father's the one feeding them and your father cares for you way more, right? Infinitely more. Okay, so study the word so you can have the word in your mind to open your eyes to the speech of creation or open your ears rather to the speech of creation. And then second, study the created world. Just honestly, be curious, be observant. One of the things I've always admired about Carl is he's just so joyfully curious about things. He knows a bunch of stuff about a bunch of stuff just because he's, he wants to know. He wants to learn. He doesn't know something, and so he goes and studies and learn it, learns it. And then people like me text him, does this crack in the corner of uh, the concrete mean my house is about to fall apart? And he's like, no, sin, right? And so he blesses us. 
with that kind of stuff. Or is this wolf poop or bunny poop and should I get a trap? And he said, it's neither of those. Quit sending me pictures like this, right? It's all those sorts of things. Uh, but he just, he knows so much and so it's expanded his wonder. It's expanded his ability to just enjoy God's good creation. It's a source of rest for him. It's a source of worship for him in the same way it is with all these psalmists that we've seen or Jesus' disciples or anyone before our age, right? That's closed their eyes to such wonders. Okay, so study the world. I've got an Edwards quote I won't read. I've got a long George Washington Carver quote. If you know George Washington Carver, he's uh, considered the most prominent uh, black scientist of the 20th century. And that's just a beautiful quote from his diary on how he goes out into the world so that he can delight in his wonderful God by studying his creation. Okay, so study his scriptures and then study his created world. And then even kind of two things more practical. Study your daily routine. So this is just my way of saying slow down and be intentional. Think about your normal days and think about, okay, what creation passes my eyes in a normal day? What do I drive past on my way to work? Or, you know, what do I have in my neighborhood, right? What, what are the things? What are the clouds of the sun, which is all of us? You know, what, do we have a bunch of flowers by our house? Should I plant some flowers? All those sorts of things. Just be intentional to think, uh, what are all the things of God's creation that I encounter on a daily basis? And a lot of things that we have there are all of us, right? Sky, trees, those sorts of things. And then think through, search the scriptures. Okay, what does the Bible say about rocks? And let me just get a couple and just think through those and just make it a discipline of, okay, I'm going to pass this, you know, these rocks on my walk and then think of uh, the way the scriptures talk about he is the rock of our salvation. Or just get two or three scriptures that take you down different avenues and, and just practice this. Practice the, I pass this, and I'm going to meditate on it. Okay, treat this as a, as a spiritual discipline, almost. And again, practice the discipline of uh, just thinking through your senses. What am I? I'm outside right now, and I'm slowed down. What am I seeing? Literally, and you can even say, okay, I'm seeing grass. I'm seeing the blue sky. I'm seeing clouds. I'm seeing, okay, birds. I'm seeing airplanes. Just think through, what am I hearing? What am I feeling? It might be nothing. It might be dirt. I mean, seseriously. What am I tasting? Which might be nothing. It might be the taste of air or pollen or whatever. Uh, and just work through the senses just as a way. What am I smelling? Right? As a way of slowing yourself down retraining your way too fast-paced mind that I am a part of this creation. Reorienting your mind to Genesis 1. All these things have been created by his wonderful hand. And then God said, let us make man in our own image. He scoops up dirt, molds man, breathes life into him, takes a rib, makes woman, right? I'm a part of this creation. And creation mandate, I meant to cultivate this, right? You're just rehumanizing yourself just by slowing down. Okay, so make that a part of a discipline. And then the last thing I'll say just for that, for your daily routine, practice having an imagination. One of the things that the entertainment has done has totally dulled our ability to be bored and actually think through things and imagine things. And so when you look at a leaf, imagine all the details that you're seeing and how God's hand is the one sculpting all this. Right? You don't have to sprint to a scripture every single time. Just use your imagination of your creative God. Okay, so pay attention to what is your daily routine. Practice those sorts of things. And then I have here, create a daily liturgy. Liturgy just means worship. Create a daily kind of order of service for yourself. Okay, and so I, I have here a, a morning breaks, meals, and then evening. I do a lot of these. So this is partially just what I do. And if you find it helpful, copy it or add to it or tweak it or whatever. Uh, so create just kind of a daily routine. If you don't, if the word liturgy scares you because you don't like Catholics, um, create a daily routine to see, okay? So here's what you should do in the mornings. Go outside and stop and sit and leave your phone inside and settle down a little bit and then just ask, what am I seeing? And look at the grass and do it every single time. Look at the sticks, look at the woods, look at the you know, skies. What am I seeing, what am I hearing? And just take 
30 seconds of silence. And I hear, uh, obviously, bugs, birds, and construction site. Because I live in McKinney, where the world is moving, and so we need more houses, right? So just slow down. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? And if you want to pick something, what am I touching? Just, just go through the senses, and then, this is what I do, I just, after you've been out there for a couple minutes, breathe in deeply. Breathe in morning air, and then pray. And say, Father, I, th- I thank you that you are a wonderful creator, that I could look at every blade of grass and just see your incredible detailed hand, or I could see the sun and think of the magnitude of who you are, and both would be true. And I thank you that you are mindful of me. You do care for me. You did send your son for me. You have brought me into your family. I pray that this day that you've made for me to be rejoice and be glad in, that I would uh, live it for your glory, that all the things you've given me to do in this 12-hour period, I would do with all my might for your glory and for the wonderful name of your son, and then go inside. Okay? That could take you two minutes, honestly. To do that, I would encourage you to take breaks and to take breaks outside away from your phone. Go on a walk. Uh, Again, look for, just pick up a leaf, look at the details, or just breathe the air. Focus on how uh, you're breathing clean air. Or sometimes just sit there and let the wind pass over your face and just feel it. Feel the wind hit your cheeks. And especially on beautiful, you know, we've got like a nine-day window of great weather. So how providential that we're talking about this now. Go do it now, okay, before it's 1,000 degrees and you're like, your creation is terrible, Father. Uh, Right, before we get back to the summer in late February. Uh, So go on walks and just have a passage or two. Go on a walk, look at the clouds, and have in your mind your steadfast love extends to the clouds, your faithfulness to the heavens, Right? For meals, again, slow down. What, have I, what has been put before me, uh, whether you had to make it quickly or not? Think about his provision. Yes, he's the good shepherd who leads you to the green pastures, but don't stop there. Think about, you could do this, think about all the things that needed to happen to get that food on your plate. The cows that he owns on a thousand hills, right, that had to be born and killed uh, and put into a burger, Right? Uh, or if you're into the sourdough, the, the way that wheat had to grow and be harvested and whatever else happens, I'll ask Carl later, to make it a loaf of bread, right? Think through all the things that had to happen that all have your God's creative hand worked in them in order to put food on your plate and just marvel and thank him. And then take it one step further. Think about the creative chef that your God is. Think of the flavors he has woven into bread, or whatever you're eating. Think of the textures that he created. Again, nothing exists apart from his creative hand. Right? He's a billion-star Michelin chef. So take time. Just slow down. Again, all this is is saying slow down and see and hear. Okay? And then lastly, at night, essentially repeat the same thing in the morning, except now you're looking at stars and the moon. Uh, and breathe it in. And maybe instead of... Uh, you look and see what you see, and then maybe quote Psalm 8. Read Psalm 8 out loud, say a prayer, and then go to bed resting well, knowing I can go to sleep joyfully because the creator of the universe does not sleep. And he's the one upholding the universe, not me. And I can lay down all the things I'm anxious about because I'm not God, he is. And I know that because he knows each of these stars by name. Not one of them is lost. Okay? So just do that. Just Just... If you're skeptical, do that, practice it for two weeks, and then you can email me and say, it was terrible. And I'll say, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, But I don't think you would do that. I think you would say, oh, my goodness. I did not, I never would have imagined the wonder around me every single day that I just carelessly walked by and how wonderful my God is. Okay, so, and then the last thing, or last two things, go outside often. Again, I've kind of, Uh, talked about this already, just get out amongst the nature, right? As we're more and more inundated by screens and things like that, work against that and just intentionally marvel another Spurgeon quote that I won't read. And then lastly, if you want to, uh, cultivate creation. Again, Adam and Eve are put in the garden and told to work it and keep it. And so you could have a hobby that intentionally cultivates this. If you're into sourdough, as it's just all the rage, right? Don't just make sourdough because it tastes good. 
right? Think about what you're doing. You're, you're, you're working, you're cultivating what your good, creative God has done. Or plant a garden and watch things grow and just have something that even is a hobby that just orients you towards this intentional marveling and worshiping your God. Again, these are all just things to make you slow down, okay? So lastly, conclusion before we uh, pray and, and give away a couple books. Again, the goal in all this is really simple. We want to behold our beautiful God, and we want to delight in him. We want to embody Psalm 8 and see your God's care for you and his love for you and sending his son for you and praise him because he's worthy of it all and that our eyes might be opened, that we might not just worship when we're doing spiritual things, but we might see the invitation to worship that happens every time the sun rises and sets and every time the sun sets and the moon brightens and the stars brighten. All an invitation to see your God is glorious and wonderful and he loves you. Okay, let me pray. Oh, last thing before I pray. Uh, I have in your notes... uh, Two of the most, uh, I think, robust passages, uh, Psalm 104 and Job 38 and 39. I put that as an, as an appendix. I would just encourage you to take those notes home and just tomorrow morning or maybe today if, if you want to after lunch or something, just read through those passages slowly and just see your creating God. Job is upset the whole book and God shows up and says, I made everything over two chapters and Job says, I need no more answer. In fact, I've spoken very foolishly and irreverently, and he worships because his eyes are open to God's hand in creation. Okay, so there's your homework. Everybody loves Sunday school homework. So there it is. Let me pray, and then we'll give away some books, and oh, man, we're over. Let's do a question. You go with that? Okay. Father, we love you. I pray just the simple prayer that you would open our eyes to the glories of your creation, that our eyes of faith would open our physical eyes so that we might see how good you are and praise you and stand in awe of the reality that you're mindful of man and you sent your son for us. We pray in his name. Amen.